Welcome to the Parker Avery Group's Talk Retail to Me podcast and new for 2023 video series. In each episode, our consulting professionals cover key retail and CPG topics and offer pragmatic insights that will add value to your operations and initiatives. Folks, welcome to uh, Unleashing the Power of Integrated Business Planning. Thank you for joining us. I think the very first thing I'd like to do is ask an icebreaker question. And as we do this, I want Sam and Marty to raise their glasses as I introduce them. Sam Iosifis is the Chief Analytics Officer and a Managing Partner here at Parker Avery. He's been uh, solving forecasting-related problems for the better part of 25 years. So wave your hand, Sam. Good to be here. And Marty Anderson is a principal here at Parker Avery. Marty has lived in industry for years. He's lived and breathed the integration opportunities within organizations and helping to tie various business functions together with seamless collaboration and high quality forecast. So Marty, welcome as well. And I'm Steve Gordon. So let's ask this question. What is your favorite happy hour beverage? And let's see how this polling is working through the chat here. Oh, there we go. Bourbon, neat, ginger beer, chocolate milk. Mine happens to be Stella, but I'm going to use this one right now for this podcast. It is ice water. If things start to go really well, I'll revert to this. If things start to go really badly, I'll revert to this. This is my other favorite. So that's me. Dirty martini. Love that. Gothy, all of them. Okay, perfect. I want to ask the question, how do you folks define integrated business planning? This is definitely one that you don't need to be shy on because this is one where you have three people, you get four opinions. So I have never seen the same uh, definition of integrated business planning twice. No, there's not. Cross-functional agreement on the current and future business performance, trying to share and collaborate, but usually not working all too well. Yes. Do you know how much to buy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's transition. Let's talk about the characteristics of what builds to integrated business planning and some of the key capabilities where we believe as you go from a traditional sense of what planning is, and you think traditional, it's you gather information, that information you you spin that into a forecast, you take that forecast and you disseminate that to the organization. And oftentimes that's highly manual. You go through a validation of the forecast, make sure folks agree there are different forecasts in the organization. There's a lot of discussion and give and take and no, that doesn't make sense. Or yeah, I'm aligned. And then you go into the supply planning function and ultimately you take that to aligning the demand need with the supply response. And then you go through a matching of what is the target for how it is you're going to supply that demand signal that you've measured. And then you're going to look at that from a revenue performance and you're going to finalize a plan. That's kind of the tradition, but there are many aspects to how technology can bring you forward to realizing something that is significantly more impactful as you move towards the maturity on integrated business planning. Let's talk about what those are. At the very bottom, we have centralized common data. 
And across any capabilities, every organization has some form of common data, whether that's a data lake, whether that's federating data, it's often very manual. But as you move across to the more advanced and into the more mature, that centralized common data is democratized through the entire organization. Now, if we go up the next level, we talk about integrated systems and workflows. From a traditional standpoint, a lot of manual processes where a lot of communication is sitting down with pieces of paper sitting across the table and having a discussion. But as you move across into the more mature stage, there are systems that are guiding that and workflows that are guiding that. We're moving up the maturity for assuming a particular definition of integrated business planning. So the answer of what integrated business planning, someone offered up the definition of sharing information so you, so you know how much to buy. That's a great definition. We tend to have a broader definition of integrated business planning where we're facilitating real-time collaboration or near real-time collaboration across functional areas. If you make that the definition, then that common data layer becomes more important. Common data layer across functions, common signal across functions, and so on. So when we move up this maturity curve, it's with a view to that definition of integrated business plan. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Sam. Segue uh, from Sam, unified demand signal. So as the traditional sense, you're looking at a lot of data, you're pulling together the forecast, so on and so forth. And there are many parts of the organization that are doing similar functions. What we're looking at is more of a unified view of demand across the organization. Here's a question. How do you do this in real time? When I say real time, by the way, we're going to really contrast your traditional SNOP process where it's uh, highly serial in nature, usually happens on a monthly basis. You may start with a signal and then everybody votes, but in a serial way until you get through to the executive meeting and you align once a month and what think demand is at a level that may not be at the level at which each of the functional areas needs to consume it. So the idea is that when we talk about how do you consume, how do you collaborate real time is making sure that whatever demand signal you agree on, at least this is my point of view, is given to you at a level that you can consume it. You can actually make changes uh, to that signal anytime during that monthly process. And that view of those changes that are made, the levers that are pulled, the constraints that are put in place, it's visible to all the functional areas. We're going to get into that some more as, as we move on. Okay. So at the next level up is internal cross-functional visibility. And that is everyone sees the same facts, foundational facts. They see the same opportunity. They see the same risks. They see the same constraints. And then the next level up, we look at a systemic internal collaboration, the ability not just to view, but to collaborate and act on that. Share your point of view and have the organization provide the gives and takes on that. The next level up is a structured process for concurrent planning. That also includes what if analysis, that includes optimization routines. It's the ability to really start to dig into how do I best respond to this demand need that I've measured in provide a balanced supply response and have all parts of the organization focused on what is the best plan of action to take. As we move up, there's external data sharing and visibility. Think about this to 
your customers, the vendor community, the folks that are external that make your organization function the way it functions. And the last piece is the collaboration around that. So there's visibility, there's collaboration. You'll notice that as you bring in more of these capabilities, characteristics, the mature side of it has all these boxes hit. So I want to ask the question again, before we go forward, where do you see yourselves in this continuum? It's a journey. Would love to get your perspective on where you view yourself. I personally haven't seen anyone uh, tick all the boxes for mature. Pretty close, but there are very few people, uh, enterprises in that box. So let's transition to the discussion and let's look at the pictorial side of this. And what I want to do is open this up, Marty and Sam, and let's kind of talk this through how this journey takes place from traditional through mature and what are the elements that make that possible? So, so maybe we start with the traditional and then move up the maturity for in the traditional, you're not at ground zero. And it's not like you don't have a demand signal. Sometimes that happens. Actually, sometimes the opposite is true is that you have multiple demand signals across every functional area. You look at finance and you'll have forecast different levels, one for margin, one for one for dollars, different horizons uh, and different ones for merchandise planning and so on. And by the way, this is a retail view. There's the CPG analog and it looks very similar. So different demand signals across the organization. If you have a SNOP process in place, many organizations don't even have that in place. Then what you will do is you will have a completely different demand uh, signal, which doesn't match with any of the ones that we're looking at here. And at some level, that is not the consumption level for any of these different areas, or maybe for just one of those areas. People come to, to the table and then there's a discussion around what that base demand signal is. Sometimes they'll take an average, but they'll agree to something. It'll go to an executive meeting at the end, and then they'll start the process all over. Very serial in nature. The demand signal that they're using does not at all align with many of the demand signals that they're using to make real decisions for their functional areas. Yeah, you hit on it really well. It's very sequential and linear in a sense, and everybody kind of has a different version of the truth and you end up with a lot more discourse about whose version is more accurate. And so it kind of wastes a lot of time. And it doesn't mean that you don't have great systems yeah. in each of these functional areas. You may have best of breed systems. The real gap is the way that these systems interact, right. the way that data is accessed and the commonality of that data. And so it is truly democratized across the organization. As you move on to the next stage, it's not like you drop all of these uh, demand signals. So all of a sudden you want to move to a true integrated business planning environment where you have these things, functional areas interacting in real time. It's not like you're going to shut off all of these demand signals that are running pricing and helping make marketing decisions, logistics, and so on and so forth. It doesn't mean that you're going to shut all of those down because it would shut down the systems that rely on those demand signals. What it does mean is that you're going to make sure that, that you have a centralized demand signal that actually butts up against the demand signal in each one of these areas in such a way that if you do have a change in a demand signal or in a constraint coming in from supply chain, you will be able to understand what those changes are and how they affect 
let's say marketing or pricing, what would the effect would be at their level of consumption and in near real time? So it doesn't mean that you will automatically move to this one end all be all uh, signal. That would be nice, but you will certainly have interconnectivity across the signals. Not only is it at the level of consumption, so we're talking about the product geography, the channel hierarchy, it's also along the metrics as well. That's an important point. So if we're thinking about fulfillment, we're thinking about units. Yes, we're thinking about three weeks out versus a LRP plan, which may be three to five years out and so on. And the horizon is a part of it, but it's also the metric of choice. We're not looking at revenue. We're not looking at dollars, the margin and so on. Or units, how many of this particular SKU am I going to get to the store in three weeks' time? From an HR perspective, I need to know how many people I need at a particular store, at a distribution center, and so on at a particular time. So if we now get to HR, promotions that should be running or so on, churn into, into people hours. That hits on something really important is, you know, sometimes you may have to in, include translators for some of that data. So, you know, you were talking about units for distribution and fulfillment, you know, when you're talking about supply chain and capacity and things like that, buying the right number of units or dollars isn't going to be enough for them or helpful, you know, because they, their work units is in cart. How many cartons can I get through the warehouse? What is the breakdown of pick and pack versus cross stock of, of those cartons is really important. And certainly when you get into store hours, it's about translating that budget that I have or how many units are coming in. There's one facet of that that's around salespeople that you need relative to volume that you want to do. Or it could be, how many people do I need on the dock to offload those cartons that just came in from the supply chain? And so you may have to have a couple of different translations when you're talking to operations. And, and that's a hard thing to do. I know I've tried to do it before in companies where, you know, when you're buying and someone in, in the chat had said, it's about knowing how much to buy. And that is true. But to make sure that you're not running into capacity issues or that trucks are just sitting in the yard, third and fourth quarter are notoriously bad because you're going into holiday. And all of your holiday comes in in October and literally they can't physically get it through the warehouse. And so understanding that in enough advanced time that you could get in front of that strategy and change it is really important. But to do that, you have to translate that projection of those buys into a meaningful KPI that supply chain can then say, hey, we've just tipped the scale of capacity and maybe we need to look at our flow again and bounce that back to your planning and your buying team to say, can we smooth that out a little bit? And that's where you get the alignment that I think Barry was talking about and Heidi mentioned it too. It's not just about having the meeting or producing the numbers. It's also about aligning on that strategy and what we think is perfect may not be when you look under the covers. And Barry wrote a very thoughtful perspective on IDP. And I just want to read it for folks that aren't following the chat. Barry writes, in a company that embraces IDP, there's direct line from purchasing, production, and inventory to sales and marketing to financial targets and budgets. A key IBP benefit is that materials are bought at the right price at the right time in just the right quantity to fulfill market demand. Successful IBP delivers closer collaboration and more trust, which is key, among departments leading to improved decision-making. IBP may require significant cultural change and cannot be successful without executive commitment. Perfectly said. Right. Yeah. Like, like to go back to the, the point about, about the translator, that is the unlock to the real-time collaborations. That's translation among the metrics that allows you to collaborate at real-time or near real-time. 
And sometimes that's as easy as just the value, just the scalar, the translation. And sometimes it is a lot more difficult. If you think about it, I mean, you can take shortcuts, for example, and you can say, well, my, my AUR, so I'm going to move from dollars to units or just use some average AUR quantity, but, but your sales mix may change throughout the year. So for electronics, maybe selling, you know, the consoles and then selling individual games across most of the year. And so your AUR will change as you go from Christmas and into the next year as well. So sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not, but regardless, it needs to be in place going to have that real-time collaboration. We've got a question. Is there a way to start small to get better collaboration with just a handful of the most pressing functional areas? Want to start with two and move on. What I've always found was you're not going to get everybody on board. First of all, you're not going to foil the notion. It's never going to work that way. But I'll tell you what, when you do it successfully with a couple, people actually line up to sign up afterwards. But yeah, absolutely. You find the area where you have the greatest need. In my experience, your supply chain people are thirsty. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but they would love to collaborate because they end up being the choke point and, and they get yelled at all the time. You know, can't you get it faster, sooner or further? Work on the weekends. They really have the, the worst job, in my opinion, which is why I don't work in supply chain. They have to figure everything out, the logistics. And when, in one of my previous lives, you know, we really kind of started there. We didn't have the integrated hypercube that you're seeing here. We didn't have a well-developed SNOP process, but what we could do is we looked historically at our data and tried to come up with our own kind of manual translation of how many on average by department or even by brand, you know, what was that average translation of units to cartons when we looked at actuals and, and the supply chain team helped us pull the data to really kind of understand that better. And we just got in a monthly um, process that we just kind of built our own little translator in Excel just to kind of start converting our own order into this carton output um, and having those monthly meetings with our supply chain team and just opening that communication and building that trust and, and building the conversation. And before you knew it, it became part of the executive open to buy meeting. And it was an expected topic of conversation. And we were talking about other things, things that were conveyable and non-conveyable. And we were looking at different product strategies that merchants were coming up with that were, were not going to work. And all of a sudden there was a, a much bigger dialogue and marketing wanted in on the conversation. Hey, we do analysis and, and, and we're not getting this kind of feedback and it, and it is kind of contagious. Once you open the door and open the conversation and let people come to the table and sit there and have the dialogue, um, you'll find out that people do want to collaborate and, and it starts feeding on itself. So Marty, you mentioned the hypercube. Do you want to define that? Yeah. So the hypercube and the right to visuals, it's kind of sitting in the center. And that's something unique in our analytic process that we produce, where it's really the concept around producing the data at a level that it is flexible and can be consumed at any level, meaning any level of prod low time hierarchy, basically. And you can output that. Sam was talking earlier that in fulfillment, you know, I'm really interested in units more in a, a three week to two month range. Whereas if I'm working in planning or buying, I may be working anywhere from a three month out to an 18 month range. And I may be only going down to say a classification or a subclassification level at that point, if I'm doing like merchandise planning. Whereas if I'm fulfilling, I may be all the way down at the item level or at least at subclass level, but I'm very close in. The hypercube concept means 
the forecast and the data that you have exists at all of those levels. And you can just pull from the grain that's right for you, but it all ties. So the aggregation from the top to the bottom, it's all one um, source of information, but you pull from it at the grain that you need to, to do the body of work that you're focused on. Kind of a mental image is that we're not looking at a single functional area and just serving up the analytics at that merch load time right. channel intersection as well. We're looking at the entirety of the enterprise all at once, and we're dynamically slicing data, we're aggregating, disaggregating, and we're ensuring that the signal that's provided and all the demand drivers that go with it are accurate at every intersection of merchandise, location, time, channel. And at the metric of choice, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So Kathleen asked a great question here. Do you see IVP playing a role in nearshore uh, sourcing strategies with planning closer to selling season or during season? Well, that's a great question because we talked about workflow time channel and so on, but there is another part of the hierarchy here that's extremely important and that's time. Not only is this important in the nearshore sourcing strategies, but how do those nearshore sourcing strategies work with everything else for other strategies that have to be 12 or 18 months out. And the idea is that your signal should actually span time. If we're talking about for replenishment, you know, three weeks out all the way through long range planning, five years out, if that's a single signal, then you have a connection between any strategy that's, you know, six months out, three months out from open to buy to the um, preseason planning to long range planning as well. As a, as a point of clarification too, on the pictorial here, where you see in the center, that hypercube, the concept here is that that hypercube is the back end intelligence to the front end systems, which the centralized common data and all of the analytics that are served up into each of these functional areas along with a collaboration engine that allows each area to participate in providing a point of view and understanding opportunities, risks, and constraints. Let's actually keep moving to the mature state. So what's the difference between the advanced and mature? Our belief is that you have to have your own house in order before you start to really open up this demand signal or hypercube to your vendors, suppliers, and so on. And so in the advanced, you're going to have collaboration between many of your functional areas. And then the next step is once you have that in place and you're working together very well and can actually address problems in a cross-functional way or challenges in a cross-functional way by pulling different levers that may be available in different areas, you now bring your suppliers and your vendors to the camp as well, right? So what do I mean by that? We, we've all heard about portals make the transactional data for that particular supplier known to them, right? So Walmart does this through retail link. There are others who do that as well, but it could be a lot more than that. You can start to share what, what your forecasts are, what your projections are. You can start to share some of the demand drivers that, that we talked about as well. And then what you would could expect from them is when they start to understand what your demand will be across your channels, then they can actually plan for that better. And when they can plan for that better, what you can do is actually expect more from them. From an SLA standpoint, hold them accountable to make sure that you have that, that inventory. Also, 
you will know ahead of time if they tell you that we can't get there. You're going to know about that well in advance. Find out you're going to have an inventory shortage six months uh, from, from the time that you need it versus three months. That's a big deal. So this is more of a two-way street instead of you just passing along uh, your demand. Uh, the expectation is that, that, that the supplier comes back to you with, here's what I'm going to be able to provide for you as well. All right. There was a question about the external partner using the hypercubes or just the objects of it. I think one of the distinctions around it, because you were like bouncing all over it, Sam, I thought you had read the question the way you were answering, is that I think the hypercube facilitates your ability to engage those external partners the way Sam was talking about. Obviously, you may have to prepare a curated version of your data for them to access, but I think it's an enabler. A lot of times when you're in planning solutions of any type, the one of the first questions is, can you do an alternate hierarchy or can you configure this special thing for this special reason, or you're trying to develop that into reporting where you can only share it. The hypercube is an enabler that could allow you to create those cultivated access points and views for vendor portaling to allow them to get at that data at the appropriate level that's meaningful for them. And then as Sam was talking an example, even facilitate them giving you a response in that manner as well, giving you some feedback and creating that feedback loop where you have a, a better, more comprehensive conversation with them. So yeah, I see it as an enabler for that. Clearly you can see the logic of having that type of communication, but the real value of that communication is driving agile orchestration. It's time to decision and time to decision, especially when there's an issue, there is a constraint, there is a turn in trend. The ability to quickly identify that and react to it is worth a lot. This is with the vendors, but internally as well. So we have another question coming in. What is the cadence of sharing info between a retailer and supplier with sharing the information? Mostly I said, if you like meetings or more frequent. Thank you for that question. If you have a monthly SNFP process, again, you have a serial process, but in the IBP the way that we understand it, you can actually start to share that information real time. One thing that we didn't talk about was anomaly detection. As you start to find anomaly in demand, you have identified a big change in your demand across a channel, across a product hierarchy, what have you. Well, the first thing you're going to want to do is let your organization know real time, but also make that information available to your uh, suppliers as well. And that goes both ways in terms of an increase in demand or a decrease in demand. Because helping your suppliers and knowing that there's going to be a slowdown, even if it's the other way around, is going to pay dividends. In the last quarter, retailers were bringing down their inventory. Boy, it would have been really nice to know as far ahead of time as possible. Well, who's going to have the best knowledge of that, right? It's going to be the retailer because they're closest to the consumer. You can start to share that information with the supplier in real time. And then the expectation is that the supplier is just as honest with you in real time as well. Just doing my due diligence of representing those panicking planners and merchants out there when they hear real time, you're like me, you're probably getting very anxious right now. I, I'm never comfortable with the word real time. The most I ever come with is maybe near real time. I think when you're talking about sharing with suppliers, I think that's up to the organization and the, and the type of business and, and how often you have that curated information to share. I, I think of it as how often are you changing your forecast? If you're only changing them monthly, then that might be the, the cadence that you're sharing. If you're changing them weekly, um, that might be 
the cadence that you're choosing to share that information. You may share those weekly forecasts, but knowing that your SNOP process where you're really getting into some of the resolutions uh, of certain things may only happen monthly. So you just need to make sure that that communication is open. But I think that's the thing that you have to think about is how real time is appropriate so that you've had a chance to at least look at it. Cause sometimes, you know, things come up and, and you need a minute to absorb it, make some changes um, before you quote unquote publish. And so I personally would say from a planning perspective, I would want a little bit more conversation over the concept of real time sharing with an external source. And maybe we want to make it intentional so that we're sharing our best guess at that time. And Marty, you, you bring up a good point on this. As you go through the maturity curve here, as you progress in your journey from the traditional to the mature, it's not just about technology. In fact, technology is just one piece of it. It's about business process. It's about the change management. With each change in the maturity in that journey, there is a business process re-engineering. And one example would be you have a monthly SNOP process that's highly serialized. How do you transform that to be much more concurrent where information is more readily shared? It's not the technology in and of itself. It's the business process that guides it. And it's the change management that enforces the adoption and sustainability of it. So very important. This is not just technology. I, the thing I like about what you said, Steve, and it, and it comes back to actually something you read in Barry's post too. It's about that improved trust and collaboration. The different departments start trusting and depending on each other more. And, and I think what naturally starts happening organically, now we live in a very digital age and with Teams and Zoom and different chat and IM programs, what you find is you don't have to wait for the SNOP. If something pops up, whether it's from your supply chain partner or an external sourcing or what have you, you'll see messages fly. You can go ahead and send those messages. Now you may have a more formal response prepared and ready for your SNOP meeting. But once you get in that cadence and you know who those contact people are and you know the conversation, I think you can start doing that very dynamically. And especially if you're using a system or this one signal approach where everybody has access to the same information as it's changing, you don't have to wait, but even internally, you can start having that dialogue immediately and start getting in front of it. Kathleen just wrote in the chat. What do you think about AI's role in planning today and near-term future? Huh, Sam? Yeah, maybe call this an old school answer when, when it comes to AI. AI is, a, I, I still think, is an overused term because it encompasses uh, way too much. But if we're talking about AI in terms of automation, there's absolutely a large role for AI to play. We see this also on the process side. When we look at planning, the signal can provide a good signal for most of what you're planning. And you can really go in and start to make changes by exception. So there's a more role for automation and planning. And I think as continue to develop the algorithms. And as there's more adoption of this automation through machine learning and I guess what is referred to as this artificial intelligence, I, I can see that playing a greater role and there's going to be more automation. This doesn't mean that the planning role goes away, but there's going to be more of a machine component. Well, what that does that actually frees the planner to do more value-added work than actually worrying about game changes or planning the low volume, the low variability things. And of course, AI will improve to where it'll be able to handle or produce a good signal 
for even the high variability stuff. And as you take in more information from these different areas and that there's greater collaboration, I would think that there was even a greater role for AI to play in automating the planning process. Sam, there's one part of this that I think would be important to call out is as you look at the role of artificial intelligence and machine learning, a big enabler to that is the depth of data, like attribution of product in, in the way that the machine learning works. So part of this again is as you start to get more sophisticated in some of the, the analytic capabilities, data is a huge focus in enabling that. No doubt about that. And that uh, without data, you don't really have the piece uh, uh, to begin with. And especially when we talk about the uh, generative AI, what it is, it's trying to basically model the, the human response uh, to certain conditions and how to understand what those conditions are is really you have the data points around more and more characteristics, more and more attributes. So as you build up that database of, the, of those characteristics or attributes for what a human would do or what's, what a, a human successfully does uh, in those situations, that's where the automation comes in. Let's, let's ask some questions here. What are your biggest hurdles to advancing toward the next level in planning maturity? I'm suspecting data would be one. I'm suspecting centralizing and democratizing that data would probably be another. Well, culture would be, um, would be yet another. Yeah. Readiness. Sure. People are afraid of losing control. I think that's so interesting because I feel like when you have more information and you have collaboration, you actually end up with more control over the outcome collectively. So that's always interesting to me, but it's true. I, I, I understand the sentiment, but I think you actually end up with more. Agreed. So actually, as you allow for that <laughs> automation and you can concentrate on the higher value activities, you have right. more control around what you're doing. There was one statement around uh, what are the fertiles that David mentioned, sharing our data with outside sources. That comes from a retail perspective, because right now, uh, many retailers see their data as a money-making engine in, uh, in many cases. question that I would ask is how much more efficient can you be by sharing that? Again, uh, it's a trust factor though as well, right? I mean, you know, data is everything about your business and how it performs. Right. So. Yeah, there's certainly some degree of uncomfortableness with that, but the value, the upside of that needs to be weighed. So Heidi also mentioned there's a trust factor, right? So trust factors come up multiple times and then associates can twist it to make themselves look better. I would argue there are certain metrics that if you put them in place properly, uh, I think ultimately it'll make it harder to twist the truth, if you will. Barry has a lot wrapped in his response. I was reading some of it that caught my eye, like production lead times and supply chain logistic. One of my current clients, something that we were finding is timetables within their systems not being updated consistently or accurately. So yeah, that can definitely be an issue if you don't have your arms around different lead times and dates. Also, the, the necessity to forecast 10 to 12 months in the future and communicate that forecast with vendors. Well, on the mature side of that curve, if you're constantly making that demand signal or changes in the demand signal available to them, it's not 10 to 12 times a month. It's just an ongoing demand signal that you're producing for them. 
by the way, it should be a stable signal because the worst thing you can do to your suppliers that was just the same uh, change addressed. Yeah. Right. He's right though. Um, you do have to, you have to publish but, it pretty far out for your suppliers, but you want it to be a stable. You need some metrics around how stable it is. That's right. If you're going to make the hypercube visible to them for, for uh, what they're supposed to see, that could go out as far as your alert piecing log goes in the three to five years, which helps milk plant matter as well. Folks, if you're interested, there's an expert guide to integrated business planning. We have a lot of this content and related content on our website. You're more than welcome to download it and read it and obviously reach out with any questions, comments, or concerns. We're always wanting to not only share what we know and the experiences that we have, but also we're always open to learning. So open dialogue always. Okay. Well, folks, we're coming up to the hour here. First of all, I want to thank everybody for taking an hour out of your evening to join us for this talk retail to me, the hour IVP discussion. It's always good, not only for us to have an internal discussion, but also hear perspectives from the outside. I hope this was valuable for you, helpful. I, I thought the dialogue and a lot of the questions were right on target and the responses perfect. So thank you. Please do, if you have any follow-on questions, you have a follow-on needs, anything you'd like to talk through with us, please reach out. Again, you have Sam Myosevich, you have Marty Anderson, you have Steve Gordon, and please reach out. And we're always available to have those discussions. It was a pleasure. I think, Steve, you can move to the Stella now. Yeah. Uh, all, all, all's good. Okay. Uh, I just say to anybody out there, and, uh, take the small wins. You were talking about small things that you can do to make it better. Just get started. You just get started somewhere. Yeah. Take the small wins and move. Absolutely. And it's a journey, yeah. guys. None of it happens overnight. It's a journey. And the best thing that you can do is sit down with the folks inside of your organization, understand their needs, and ensure the executive team really shares in that vision and drives that vision. And that journey will happen. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thank you. Have, Have a great day. evening. That's a wrap for this episode of Talk Retail to Me. If you have questions related to today's topic, please visit our website at parkeravery.com to learn more and to contact us. Also, we'd love it if you shared Talk Retail to Me with any of your colleagues. It's streaming on all the major podcast platforms and the videos are available on our YouTube channel. For more Parker Avery industry expertise and advice, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.